Innovation happens at breakneck speed in digital health. In fact, things change so fast it can be tough to stay in the know. I looked and looked for a podcast that was dedicated to showcasing the hottest products, companies, and trends, and it didn't exist. So I created it. This is the Bleeding Edge of Digital Health, and I'm your host, Mike Moore. Welcome to another episode of the Bleeding Edge of Digital Health. We've got a, uh, a fantastic show for you today featuring a really exciting company called Graphware with Rajatesh Gudabandi and Meet Vora. Rajatesh is the co-founder and CEO of Graphware and Meet is the director of operations. Thanks for joining me today, guys. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah good absolutely. Absolutely. For the listeners out there, they all know how I like to start the show. I always like to kick off by hearing the origin story of how things got started. That's always, those are always a, a fun story. But in part and parcel to that, one thing I'd like you guys to talk to a little bit is just how did you guys decide to take on the holy grail of maybe the holy grail of all medicine, which is needle stick free monitoring of diabetes? I'd love to hear how things got started and what, what got you off into this vertical of, of medicine? Yeah, sure, um, Mike, um, and thanks for the question. You know, surprisingly, we never started with needle-free. <laughs> we didn't care about that. You know, this is back in 2007, way back when I was in my undergrad, I got malaria. And what happened was I was in a rural part of India, very remote. The nearest city was three hours away by bus and the road was not the best. And so when I got malaria, I was misdiagnosed. I was living in a hostel and uh, it was one of the most severe form of malaria, cerebral malaria. And what happened was because of the misdiagnosis, they had to send my urine and blood samples a little late to the uh, nearest city. And, and because of that complications pursued and I was knocked out and I was in a very bad position. And then I was, I remember being in a small room in a makeshift clinic in the college for almost a month. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was not good. But what I learned were from you, that experience was... Were you totally was, incoherent that whole time, like in a coma or... No, no, no. Fortunately, not that. Fortunately, not a coma. <laughs> no, not a coma. But but what I was, was going into the, the extended recovery, which through an IV. I was on an IV for a long, long time. You get unconscious, yeah. you fall down. And if you're not treated well, because your, your brain starts swelling and, and stuff like that happens. Yeah. Back then, I did not know it was cerebral malaria. I thought, well, when I even found out it was malaria... It was a little late, but you know, you, you get unconscious, shivers, it just persists. And then yeah, it's a long road back to recovery if you don't treat well, right. well on time. So yeah, and, and my learning there was not that there were not good doctors around. There were good doctors around. They had the good training and education, but there were also medicines around for malaria, but there was no testing lab nearby. Yeah. So I, I, I missed the information. And so, you know, that was my first year of my undergrad in a rural plot. So fun fact, I got malaria three times during my undergrad. Oh my God. Two years, both the years following that year, I got malaria, but it was much better than the first time. <laughs> uh, wow. So what this taught me was, going back to your question uh, in the beginning, it, what it taught me was, well, we need timely testing. And now imagine I, I was privileged in the sense I could afford healthcare. My parents took care of me very well, uh, but I still could not access it yeah. when I needed it. Yeah. So I realized okay, we've got to do something about it. And that's when I came to the US and I met Meet in 2016. He joined Graffer. We founded the company in 2015 and Meet uh, joined us in 2016. And yeah, Meet, I'll, I'll let you share your own motivations. Yeah, I, I studied chemical engineering in India and then went for grad school in the US for master's in nanotechnology. 
which is where I met Raj. He was one year ahead of me. And you guys were I remember, at Penn, right? Yes. Yeah. Go Eagles. <laughs> and so uh, there was this one time we were having a discussion and he was telling me about draft fair and his motivation behind it. And I was sharing how when I was in, in India, my grandmother used to live with us and she was diabetic. And uh, I used to help her take blood pricks in, in just helping her monitor her glucose. And a few years ago, actually, she passed away because of complications that arose from her diabetes. And so my motivation was every time I used to prick her, she would be in pain. And, and I wanted to not see her or people like her in any sort of pain. And they should not have to go through this just to monitor their glucose. And that's where it made sense for me to join the mission of Graphair and join the journey with Raj in uh, solving this problem. Yeah, it's you know it's interesting because after so many of these talks now, it's it's neat to see how personal struggles or personal experiences with failures of the healthcare system. It's an overwhelming majority. I don't even know what the numbers are, but an overwhelming majority of founders usually saw some failure in the system, and their motivations were came about as a result of it. But I don't know any founders that, that just say, "Hey, you know." I'm going to go start this company because I think I can make a ton of money, right? Like if that's the motivation, you're in the wrong business. This is, it's way harder to make money fast in this business. Go do it in tech, go do it in software as a service, something like that. But yeah, it's neat to see the personal experience and, and hear that side of it and, and what brought that about for you guys. So I appreciate you sharing that. And boy, did you take on a, a mighty task? Talk a little bit about the market and just how big is it? I mean, the diabetes market is how many patients, how many, what's it valued at dollar-wise? The motivation for our particular current go-to-market is towards needle-free continuous glucose monitoring. Right. Right. And that is also derived from, uh, you know, let's solve the most basic marker for everyone, that's glucose. And diabetes is a natural consequence of not monitoring that. So, about the numbers, right? It's pretty interesting. Like glucose is, is everyone has glucose. And there, when, when you, the way you can regulate glucose in your body is through insulin. And so there are two forms of diabetes that are major, which is type one and type two. Right. Yeah. And, and your body actually produces insulin to regulate that. But sometimes your pancreas does not produce that. So that is type one. Right. So they cannot produce insulin. And type two diabetics are typically people who, because of their habits, because of their sleep, their food habits, their lack of uh, lifestyle, exercise or whatever, and all of the above and, and many more, they actually develop a resistance to insulin. Mm -hmm. It's like the body's producing insulin, but your insulin now, it was produced in excess way more for a long time that your body itself becomes <laughs> immune to your, resist your insulin. Right. That's why it's insulin resistance. So about around the world, there are 500 million people roughly who have diabetes, of which more than 98%, if I'm correct, are type 2. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. I would not have guessed that it's that high. Huh. Yeah, it's it's all the, it's all our lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> and the worst part is type 2 diabetes is, is actually, in most cases, leads to the onset of cardiovascular issues. Yeah. And so, whereas type 1, on the other hand, I know if you look at in the US, we have about 1.4 million type 1 diabetics mm -hmm. and roughly around 30, 32 million type 2 diabetics, 33 million. Interestingly, just like half of the diabetic population are even diagnosed. We don't oh, even really? know the actual number who have diabetes because most of them are not privileged to have the diagnosis done. Right. And that's the issue. So the market is becoming into an epidemic. Yep. And so 
there are tools out there to be able to control diabetes, to be able to manage that, but the access is often limited. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. It's, um, and it's not just in, you know, people think this is the case in third world countries. It's here. The pricing of insulin has been widely publicized. There's a, there's a lot of, you know, I think Merck, what they just announced that they were going to lower uh, or cap the price of insulin at $35 a month was it last week. So, you know, yeah, there's access issues abound and it's not just in third world countries. It's, it's, it's here in the U.S. as well. Uh, about that insulin, right? That has been the biggest contributor <laughs> towards lack of management because, you know, insulin is one molecule which can control that. And that has been misused, I would say, uh, a lot by different companies, of course, to make profits, right. which I don't blame them for. Yep. But when it was invented, right, it was made towards, the, it was signed up for a dollar, almost like that for people's use. And then unfortunately, people don't have access to that that molecule that was, is so cheap to make. Yeah. And so that's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> problem. Yeah. So yeah, that's the argument, right? Is like, if we've got all these people that need it, why are we making it so expensive? And all these other drugs that go, they go generic and we sell them for pennies on the dollar. Why is insulin kept so high? And obviously there's, you know, people in high places that are making those decisions. But to your point, it's definitely an epidemic and it's neat to see that companies are tackling big problems. Small companies are tackling big problems and you guys are one of them. So I'm excited to get into it a little bit. So let's talk about the technology, man. Walk us through the technology. I know you guys have a, it's a, it's a wearable technology basically for needle-free glucose, continuous glucose monitoring, right? Can you walk us through a little bit more about it? What's the secret sauce, et cetera? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the objective for us was to be able to sense on the surface of the skin, mm -hmm. the glucose coming out, diffusing out from your skin. So the technology has been built to solve that problem. We have a device, you know, I'll just show it to you. It's, it's a device that can mount it onto a patch and then you can patch that onto your, your abdomen. Now it's, it's completely needle-free. Underneath the device, there's a sensor. It feels like a cloth and it tastes molecules that like literally glucose per unit time that are on the skin. And then it converts that into an elect electrical signal. And so the way that this works is you have something very sensitive in contact with your skin. Yeah. It's almost like an electronic tongue. Yeah. That tastes molecules uh, so sensitively. And when it converts to electrical signals, it has to transmit that information quite seamlessly. And what we humans are used to right now is a phone yeah. and an app. And so the data, data goes real time to your phone and you can see your glucose values uh, pretty much like I'm doing right now with this app. So it's wow. live glucose and it's, uh, it's broadcast me every five minutes. And yeah, that's how this works. What is it about the needle-free design that makes that form factor so challenging? And then for those that aren't familiar, because not everybody's familiar with this disease, how would this be different than like a Freestyle Libre product or something in that category? The challenge has been firstly that we don't have a benchmark to look up to when it comes to solving the needle-free problem. Right. I mean, it's like all roads end right. at needle. Right. That was that was a starting point, right? I'll go back to why did we not need needle free? Was not because uh, you know what we want is continuous testing, right? We want continuous testing, but the problem with needles plus continuous testing is that people don't adhere to it, right? So we needed to have a needle free solution that's one click, easy to use. You forget it, right? And that's why the needle free became very important for us. 
And now when we went around needle free, like there's not much literature out there. So we're like, okay, what, what fluid do we first use? And what organ do we first access? We narrowed down, we looked at sweat, saliva, earwax. Right. And we narrowed down that skin is one of the largest organs in the human body. Right. And so we, we narrowed down on skin. And after that, the next challenge was, okay, well, we'll have to build the technology to be able to test, taste the glucose. We were talking about a dilution factor that's quite insane. Right. Between the blood and the skin. So we have to make something very sensitive. That's Hypersensitive, luckily, yeah. Hypersensitive. Like, so uh, luckily, that's where the education also came in, right? In fact, not luckily, it's quite actually purposeful. Right. The reason I did my graduate studies was to solve this problem after my undergrad malaria right. experience right. to do that in nanotechnology. And with the advent of nanoscale materials, I mean, you could see for the first time for so many years, materials being built in labs. And I was like, my mouth was wide open. Like, wow. Yep. This What a great time to be alive with yeah. the advent of nanotechnology because you have this nanoscale materials that are one atom thin, made of carbon, that can sit on the skin and, and has the best aspect ratio in, on the planet, meaning its surface area to volume is the highest possible. Right. So it's the most sensitive material on the planet. Right. And then you can then use it to make an electronic tongue. Right. And so all of that led to this moment. So the challenge was, of course, the lack of knowledge before this. But then along the way, it was we built the technology for that problem. But then practical challenges that, that lead up to this are how do you maintain the skin contact? Right. Right? It's like you're, you're tasting molecules on the skin. Humans don't want too much on their skin. Right. Right? So we like to be free. Right. <laughs> right? So that's the challenge. Like, how do you maintain the snug skin contact? Because if it gets loose, you know, it can't sample glucose. Sometimes women have long fingernails. When they remove the device, they can scratch the sensor. These are the practical challenges yep. that we had to face. That's easier yeah. than the earlier challenges we had to face. Yeah. No, that's that's fascinating. The big difference between this and a, and a Freestyle Libre, even though Freestyle Libre is like a patch that you wear, that's still a needle that goes in, right? It goes in, it's a subcutaneous patch that or a, a needle that goes in, whereas yeah. this is totally needle-free. Got it. Got it. And we were talking before Raj jumped on about there's been a lot of noise in this space in the last couple of weeks, uh, not just what Merck's doing around the price of insulin, but obviously Apple has made some announcements that they're they're making some advancements in this space. And this is a, a road they're headed down. I'd love to get both of your guys' thoughts on this. My personal opinion is anytime a big player like this tends to jump in the space, it, the rising tide lifts all boats. I would think this is a, a phenomenal thing for you guys, but would love to get your take on that. Yeah, definitely. Especially a company, company as big as Apple, if they are making strides in this industry, it's only going to help everyone because they're going to educate everyone on the importance of why glucose monitoring is important. Like it, it, it's valuable. And we, in this community, I don't think we, any one of us look at each other as a threat, but rather we're all serving to help the diabetic community. And a company like Apple, if they can do it, it's, it's definitely good news for everyone. Just from the sounds of things, though, they'd have they'd have a pretty long development process, right? You guys are seemingly pretty far along in comparison to them, isn't? Is that accurate? Yeah. So a little history, right? So Apple has been working on a, a non-invasive glucose monitoring uh, since Steve Jobs was diagnosed with cancer. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's been documented. So because of that, like he he developed diabetic complications. Right. And so they have been at it for a while, long, long time. 
and they've spent a lot of money, way more than we can imagine. Right. But here's the thing, the technology that Apple is working with uh, that is quite similar to what we use today with your Apple Watch. Under the Apple Watch, the, the light sensors, they are called PPG yep. sensors, right? But it's basically light. Now, if you want to sense glucose, right, any molecule, you want to be able to sense it. You need to get an input, you need to get an output, right? Now, you can have an electrical input, you can have an electrochemical input, but the, the technically, you can shine light on glucose, and if only glucose and glucose alone reacts to that light, you can get that light back and you can record information about that glucose. That's how you may want to do light-based right. measurement. But the problem is when I shine light through the skin, there's glucose, fructose, galactose, maltose, galactose. You know, you have insulin. You have all these macromolecules, all these molecules down there. And so it cannot be specific. Got it. So if you want a more specific sensor, then you have to have something quite literally that can sense only glucose. And so you have to rely. And, and what's nice about the finger stick meters, right, that have started, and that's why they are diabetically approved and FDA approved, are because they're very specific for glucose monitoring. They have a protein in there that binds only to glucose, and it's very specific. So we have our technology also is based on a very specific electrical measurement. So we know we we are sensing only glucose. So there's a specificity factor that that in is involved that seemingly would give you guys a a more accurate reading than if you were to utilize another measurement um, or another form factor for the for the collection, right? Yeah, absolutely, and and. We can be less reliant on algorithms. We can be less reliant on, you know, any invariances in the, how the light has to go on the skin, through the skin. You know, light has, if light has to go through different skin tones, right. it's hard. Right, we don't right, need right. It. And all the right? we, uh, determinants of health and health population issues come in when you're looking at, uh, you know, clinical studies with, you know, making sure that people with darker skin and lighter skin are all involved in the clinical trials to make sure that that yeah, no, it's it's a very complicated problem. There's a reason that a market of 500 million patients hasn't been figured out yet. And it's not because there hasn't been people trying, that's for sure. So where are you guys at in the regulatory process? So on the regulatory process with any medical device, it is important that it's heavily tested before it's given out in the market. And so in that pursuit right now, we are in clinical trials and we plan to be out in the market in the, within the next two years. That's great. Is it the pivotal trial you guys are involved in right now or which trial are you in? It's more of an early feasibility Got it. Trial. And, then the, and then the pivotal trial is the one after that? We'll Got it. Yep. Got it. That's exciting. Are you guys looking, uh, looking at measuring any other physiological metrics with these types of technologies? I mean, I would think that there's endless applications here once you build the roadmap, right? Yeah, absolutely. Remember, like we talked about malaria in the beginning. Yep. Right? That's where my mind went. Uh, yeah. It started with that, but I realized that falciparum is a little hard to do. <laughs> you know, let's start with my dad's problem and to meet his own motivation. And so for glucose, because it, it establishes the platform, Right. We are sourcing from the skin and skin is actually then sourcing from the blood. So we have the availability of 90% plus of the molecules that are, are in the blood, of course, in dilute quantities. And if we are able to you know, source them accurately on the skin, then the chemistry that's already available can be plugged and played onto our technology to make it specific. 
So we can then turn around into this. It's built like a platform. So we can multiplex. You can imagine yep. different metabolites real time. And we have to also think about how the user will perceive this because most of these markers now will be easy to do continuously. You don't yep. want to freak the person out. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. 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 I, Information overload. Yeah. It's going to be a very, very interesting and exciting behavioral change around how continuous health monitoring will happen in the next few years. And Grapher will be at the forefront of it. Yeah. One of the areas that I think is, God, I mean, I think would be amazing is, you know, elite performance management, you know, like for professional football teams, professional soccer teams that being able to monitor fluid levels and salt levels. And I mean, to be able to know, you know, at halftime, oh, we got to get, you know, it's going to get real granular real quick once the chasm has been crossed. Elite performance management, sports management seems like an obvious next next step for this as well. But there's, yeah, there's, seems like there could be endless, endless opportunities for you guys moving forward. You guys seem to have a really cool corporate culture up there, you know, just in our conversations that we've had and the, the office seems really neat. What's it like working there? What's the culture like? Give us an inside uh, look into what what a day in the life is like. When we are looking for anyone to join the company, there are certain traits that we are actively looking for. One of the things is they have to be highly motivated individuals with extraordinary abilities. Very easy to find, right? Clearly. Yeah. Yeah. As I'm a recruiter, I know. <laughs> and usually we've seen that it's a common trait amongst people who come into this bracket where they approach problems with a very first principles based tactic where, where they go into the fundamentals of what the problem is to understand it and then come up with solutions. And even though, like, if you look at the core team at Graphware, the first four or five people, we were all from the same nano masters program but all had different yep. undergrad background. I was in chemical engineering, Raj is electrical. We have someone for physics, material science. So different perspectives, but all would come to the same conclusion because of first principles thinking. And yep. there are so many times that I, Raj and I would discuss about how growing up and going into school, like sixth grade, seventh grade, when we learn certain equations, we used to think like, where am I going to apply these things? And Right. I cannot tell you how many times we've had this situation where we're trying to discuss and brainstorm on some problem and those fundamental equations and fundamental concepts come into solving really complex problems into very simple solutions. And that yeah. that is, I would say, the core of what makes each individual here at Graphware. But I'm, I'm sure, Raj, you also have things to add on to this. No, I think I think that you said it well, Meet. Uh, that then translates to the culture, right? The culture is in any company is is not born. Out yeah, of it's created. It's made. It's created. It's created every and maintained, and yeah. every day it's changing. Yeah, it's a process. It's a process of it's and it is a disciplined process. You're doing. It's all about the details, and that's when a culture is made, right? And to what Meet said right now is literally we try to maintain that every day. We sometimes forget, we make mistakes, but we have instituted a process wherein every person is encouraged to think first principles. And every person, when we are facing a wall, which we face many, <laughs> and yeah. we realize, well, hey, if, if subatomic particles can tunnel through walls, uh, we are made of them. Why can't we tunnel through walls? <laughs> uh, right. It's quantum tunneling, right? It's like, hey, you know what? So there's there's for us. And then, of course, once once we have that, process right we do in dana 
we want to make sure every new person coming in is self-policed or self-governed by their group, their peers, right? So it's like, it's like it then grows and scales that way. And then, of course, you don't want to be afraid to fail. Right. And that goes hand in hand, right? You, you, you may try to attempt a solution to a problem, but you may fail miserably, that too. But that's okay. At least you're trying, right? And, well, and you're learning. And you're learning. You're learning what doesn't work. And sometimes you have to figure out what doesn't work before you can figure out what works. Absolutely. And, and that, that, I think, effectively, all these pieces makes Craftfair's culture a very exciting place to wake up to every day. You know, in fact, the yeah. worst days of my life, like I just say, okay, I want to be amongst those group of people who I can That's get really their, cool. I, I can get their infectious enthusiasm. Yeah. Yeah. I've been a part of two really high performing teams in my life. One was in my professional career. One was in athletics. And, you know, I think both of them were really, really distinguished in one way. They were very similar in one way is that there was self-policing. That piece of self-policing is very important. If you if you put a bunch of high-performing people together, the coach will have to do much less coaching and the manager will have to do much less managing because the, the people will expect more of themselves and each other than the coach ever could. And we found that, I found that in both in both of those environments where we were harder on ourselves, we were harder on each other than the coach could have ever been. And elite things were accomplished as a result of that. Then, then the, then the leaders can are free to go kind of think big picture vision. They're not managing the day-to-day time clocks, this, that, the other. They know that if somebody's not pulling their weight, the rest of the team's going to fix that problem. So now it's neat, man. You guys have created a really, really cool company. Excited to see how things progress from here. I'm wishing you guys nothing but the best of success moving forward. I know you guys have a round coming up later this year and, and some exciting things on the horizon. So we'll be looking forward to watching as things develop and definitely as, um, as we get closer to FDA approval, let's stay in touch and maybe we can get you back on the show for, for a recap of where they were then and how we're, how the, how it's going now sort of thing. But uh, really appreciate you guys both coming on. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much, Mike, for your time. I'll just add one more thing. For people who are interested in getting to know more about the company and to join us in this endeavor, please feel free to send us an email at info at craftware.co or just go onto our website and fill up the form. We need everyone's help and there's a lot of work to do. Absolutely. We'll make sure that that information gets in the show notes as well. So that'll be up on the uh, on all the podcast portfolios. We'll make sure that that makes it in. All right. That's it for this edition of the Bleeding Edge of Digital Health. Again, Rajatesh Gudabandi and Meet Vora of Graftware. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. Listen, if you enjoyed the show, please hit that subscribe button and leave us a review and rating. That'll let others know the show is definitely worth checking out. Also, if there's a product, company, or trend you'd like to see featured on the show, just shoot me an email. My address will be in the show notes. Take care and I'll catch you next time.